Hello, I'm Katie Sewell. And I'm Tiffany Parks. And this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm in Seattle. Tiffany is in Rome. And we just want to do a couple thank yous real quick. Support for this show comes from our listeners. And this past week, we put out an appeal during Giving Tuesday, just like every other organization and arts group that you've ever heard of did. And we were very pleased that a number of you stepped up to help us pay some significant equipment costs that are coming for us in 2021. And we just wanted to pause and thank some of you. Yes. Thank you so much to Paul S. And Paul W. Judy. Laura. Rob. Michael. Marcy. Philip. Natalie. Matt. Linda. Gracie, Lisa, and Mark. Joe. Mike and Sunny. Susan. Michelle. And Jess. Thank you so much, you guys. I cannot even tell you. And for those of you who donated the prior week who were already named for this same reason, we cannot thank you enough for coming through for us on this and really just giving us a vote of confidence that we're making something that people like as we head into 2021. Yeah, and something that is worth supporting and that should continue. If you haven't donated yet, it's not too late. (laughs) (laughs) There is no time limit. There are always more costs. Equipment and hosting and all these things are very expensive. We make this show out of our own pockets for the good of everyone. (laughs) Is that too grandiose? A little bit. It's a little bit. So feel free, though, if you haven't yet donated. There are links in the show notes. And also, tell your friends. Don't keep this show a secret. Yeah. We can't do it without you. We cannot. Thank you so much. Now on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, taking a walk yesterday, Tiffany, I was marveling. I wouldn't say marveling. I was looking (laughs) at things that are kind of common sights now, but that wouldn't have been common sights before. Like, for instance, I can remember taking a photograph in maybe March, April of last year of a face mask hanging from a rearview mirror. And I thought, what a photo for our times. You know, (laughs) you never used to see a mask in a person's car. Well, today, now in December of 2020, seeing a mask in a person's car is about as common as seeing a bird fly by. You know, it's just what things look like now. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples of that. The little automatic hand gel dispensers. Yes, they're everywhere now. Not to mention the sneeze guards, the plexiglass sneeze guards that are everywhere. Yes, I know. And and as a germaphobe, personally, I really like the having the hand sanitizer everywhere. I know, but I got to be honest with you. I'm a hand washer. Before all of this, I was a religious hand washer in the sense that I walk into my house. The first thing I do after taking off my shoes is I wash my hands. Uh, same with when I go to a restaurant. Uh, I'm always wash, I wash my hands before I eat. But I prefer washing my hands to using hand gel. Oh, for sure. Not just because it's better for your skin, but also because it's, you know, it's more effective and it doesn't destroy all of the positive bacteria on your hands that you need to stay healthy. <laughs> yes. There's hand gel at my son's school and I have to put it on when I go in and put it on when I go out. And and then, of course, as soon as I get home, I wash my hands again. So, you know, I notice my son's hands and, you know, little kids have like the healthiest skin in the world unless they have an actual problem. 
his little hands are starting to get, you know, like mine, like they're starting to get rough and sore and crack a little bit. And I'm like, oh, my baby, I know it's because he's putting on hand gel 10 times a day. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I definitely prefer the old fashioned soap and water method. Yes. There was a comic that came out a couple of months ago that was of two mice in their house. And one of them is coming through the door and he just says, gee, Gus, there are just hammocks everywhere. And one of them's laying in one of the face masks, you know, <laughs> strung up on the wall. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, another common sight is that you see masks all over the ground that have, what, fallen out of people's cars, their pockets, who knows, but masks are everywhere. But it got me thinking about what used to be a common sight that you'd see all the time that you never see anymore. Hmm. If we're replacing common sights with all this stuff, what are we not seeing anymore and I thought today it would be fun to uh, I don't know try to come up with a list so one of the first things I thought of was at least in Seattle and in San Francisco frankly when I lived there it used to be a fairly common sight to see a woman wearing some sort of tight spandexy type pants and carrying a yoga mat with their hair in a ponytail walking very very common sight the pink roll the blue roll whatever and you never see anyone walking by with a yoga mat anymore. That's so funny that you would even notice that. <laughs> I think I noticed it because a friend of mine, we were taking a walk together and she was talking about how she was now doing yoga at home. And I thought, oh yeah, people used to go out of their homes with equipment to go do yoga somewhere. Yeah, and now, now they, they just do it in their home office. Mm -hmm. But it made me wonder about Rome too. One of the most common sites in Rome that I recall, because I dealt with it almost every single day was being on the tram or the whatever they call them I don't forget what they call them the, oh, the tram the tram yeah being on the tram out of Trastevere into the center and just it being packed with people and you having to kind of shove yourself onto this packed car and I was wondering do you see packed cars like that going by anymore um definitely not as packed there are still people on it it's funny that you say that because today for the first time since the pandemic began, I went on the metro. Ooh. I know, scary. Big step. I know. And it was so much less of an issue than I thought it would be. My husband was like, okay, here's a face mask for you. Like, I'm going to put two in here. They're disposable ones. So I want you to wear the disposable ones. And here's two pairs of latex gloves just when you're on the metro. Two pairs, not just one pair. Well, for each way, you know. Oh, because... each way. <laughs> I thought he wanted you to put on both. No, no. I was thinking, wow, that's, that's cautious. He's <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. Okay, good. And I took the metro at almost the same time I would have taken it if I'd been going to work. And it was not even close. I mean, it was not empty. It wasn't like there were, you know, back in March or April when no one was able to go out. I mean, I guess the metro was probably not even running at that time. There were people on the metro in every car. But you were easily able to have three seats to yourself. And I had one glove on because I wanted to use my phone. And I was like, I don't want to be touching my phone with the glove. That kind of defeats the purpose. But it was not an issue. Like, I didn't touch anything with either hands. I didn't have to touch anything because I didn't have to hold on to a pole. So I didn't even wear the gloves on the way back. But um, it was so not an issue. It just didn't seem at all, like, risky or, or anything like that. So to answer your question, on the way back, it was a little busier, but it was still not packed. I would not call it anywhere near packed, where it used to be that you couldn't even begin to get a seat on a weekday in Rome, pretty much any hour of the day until quite late at night. 
the tram I didn't see, but I, you will see buses sometimes that are a little more crowded than is probably a good idea, especially out in the suburbs. Right. What about another fairly common sight in Rome are musicians performing in the streets? Are they still around? There are still musicians on Ponte Sisto. Yes, which is a bridge for those of you who have never been there. It's kind of like the main place where buskers go. I saw a guitarist there the other day. But what you don't see are like those big bands that used to play in Piazza Santa Maria in Trastevere, yes. where they had like five or ten guys, you know, and one had the double bass and one had the trumpet and I don't know, like the whole eight-piece band, you know. Those guys I haven't seen. You still see people selling things, walking around though to sell things, but what you don't see are the guys who lay out the purses on the side of the road, the fake Louis Vuitton and fake Gucci purses. They have disappeared. What about the women who beg for money by being in a prayer stance that just sit there motionless all day long? You can still find them. It's just not as many. It's just not as many. And the reason is because there's no tourists. You know, the Romans aren't giving them money. I mean, maybe once in a while, but it's the tourists who give them money. So I guess they're just like, why bother? One thing that is glaringly missing to my eyes is just the tour groups, mm. not just tourists, that as well, but like the groups of tourists with the headsets and the tour guide with the little umbrella or the flag. I say this being, you know, a tour guide, <laughs> Yes. but um, I haven't done tours with a group for, I don't know, over a decade. But anyway, usually you see these big groups of people, they're all just in a clump <laughs> and they're following someone around and they have headsets on and they're, you know, usually everywhere. I had tea in Piazza di Spagna this morning. And even in the dead of winter, there are tour groups in Piazza di Spagna. There's never a time when there aren't several tour groups in Piazza di Spagna. That to me is the most glaringly gone thing. And just tourists in general, Rome is so, it's not empty the way that it was in the first days of May when they opened up the city for the first time. And it had truly been empty the way people who lived in the center who had to walk to the supermarket would have seen it because that was the only thing you were allowed to do was walk to the supermarket or walk your dog. So it's not like that. It's like if you can imagine Rome with only the people who live there, that is what it is. Would you say that it's better now than it was prior to the pandemic? I mean, it's a hard thing to say because so many people are suffering from the lack of tourism. You know, so many restaurants are closing and shops are closing and, you know, people who have mom and pop shops that have been open for generations, people who are artisans, it's really tragic where they're just suffering, you know. So it's hard to say, oh, it's better now. You know, I have so many friends who are tour guides and I myself, at least 50% of my income is based on tourism, my husband as well. So it's, I don't want to say better because it sounds kind of callous, but the city is wonderful. It's wonderful now. I was just thinking of a picture you posted on Instagram that would have been something you don't normally see, is that there's grass growing between the cobblestones. There you go. That's, That's one. That's a new sight because that means there's not as much foot traffic. Yeah, it's nuts to see it. If you stand at the top of Piazza Navona and look down, because very, very long, narrow piazza, it's just green. I mean, it doesn't look like a, like a lawn of grass, but it is so green. It's nuts. I've never seen anything like it in this city. Apparently, it's bad for the cobblestones. It makes them get loose. 
So they have to uh, come in and get rid of it. I would imagine so. It also begs the question of if human beings were to vanish, how quickly would Rome fall apart is sort of an interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. Pretty fast, because I mean, think about how much money is spent just preserving all of these ancient buildings and churches and ruins and just making sure the cobblestones are put back in in the right way you know every time anything changes you know right they relay those cobblestones like constantly i know uh, it's the loudest thing you can imagine here's an interesting parallel at the height of the roman empire in the second century a.d the population of rome was between one and two million uh, now that doesn't sound like that big of a city in our modern times but that was by far the biggest city that had ever existed that was in an enormous city for ancient standards. Just after the fall of Rome, at the very beginning of the Middle Ages, the population was 20,000. Wow. Let's say that the higher number is true, that it was 2 million people, from 2 million people to 20,000 people. Yeah. If you think about it, that's look what happened to Rome during that time. The city just fell into decay. Everything just got slowly eaten up by the dirt, you know? Yeah. Until things were literally, literally underground. Yeah, that's true, because there's so many buried ruins. Do you know... For those 20,000 people, what did they do? Did they group in together? Like, was there a certain area of the city where most people were living at that time? Or were they yes. spread out? No, no, no. They, the city concentrated around the river hmm. because the aqueducts had been cut. And so they had no choice. That was the only way to get water. So everybody went down to the river. And that was the most populous part of the city during the Middle Ages. Now, there were a few wealthier families. Most people who had the money to leave Rome did. They went to the east. They went to Byzantium. They went to the the new Roman Empire in the east. But obviously the poor people couldn't afford to do that. And then so many people died. Just so many people died because flooding, fires, there was no protection anymore. So like there was just, you know, violence was crazy. People were getting sick. There was no clean drinking water. I think that's probably what did most of it was that it just wasn't clean drinking water. So people just got sick and died. Mm. Um, but there were a few wealthy families who stayed. And what they did was they just like moved into the big ancient sites. The Franchipani family moved into the Colosseum. They claimed it. And they're like, okay, this is our new home and it's our fortress. And they turn it into a fortress. And the Orsini family moves into Teatro di Marcello. And I can't remember what family moved into Castel Sant'Angelo. Well, it wasn't Castel Sant'Angelo then. It was the mausoleum of uh, Emperor Hadrian. And they just moved into these ancient sites and... uh, like, okay, this is my fortress now. That's pretty awesome. If you had to move into a fortress, if you were one of those families, which would you have picked? Well, I got to say, whoever picked Teatro di Marcello, I mean, that's the most beautiful one because it was turned into a beautiful palace by uh, the architect Baldassare Peruzzi in the Renaissance. And it's still there and it's divided into apartments now, but it's like the prime real estate in the entire city. Yeah. An apartment was for sale there about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, and it was selling for something like 54 million euros. Just an apartment. For people who have been to Rome but don't quite know where that is, can you describe where that is? It's really close to the Jewish ghetto. Uh, It's very close to Portigo d'Otavia, if you know where that is. Very close to the Tiber River where it bends. So just across the bridge from Tristevere. Yeah. Just across the river from Tristevere, I should say. Interesting. So here in Seattle, one of the things, and this is definitely part of the ramifications of this illness and all of the people out of work and all those ripples that have happened because of 
the shutdowns and such. But one of the things that you rarely see in Seattle, if at all anymore, is a park where people aren't living in it. Really? Like a playground or just an empty field or any kind of urban park is full of tents now. Hmm. Are you having any of that there? I mean, not that I've noticed, but I haven't been spending that much time in the center. You know, and I kind of stick to the same sort of areas when I go there. Could very well be happening, just not in places that I'm seeing. There always is a certain number of people that you'll see living in, you know, in certain parts of the city and tunnels and um, under bridges and things like that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's gotten worse. I would imagine that it must have gotten worse. Although I, I will say that Italy does have a little bit more of a social safety net than the United States has. Yeah, it's been a, a big issue and something that you read about in the papers a lot. And particularly, I don't know if Rome has online neighborhood groups like Nextdoor, etc. I don't ever read what's written on ne- Nextdoor, so this is all hearsay. <laughs> but I do hear from people that there's a lot of discussion and complaining about, you know, that tension of well, what about our park? You know, where are my kids supposed to go? And then, you know, other people being like, well, where are these people supposed to go? You know, so we're definitely having that kind of a, I don't know if it would be considered a culture war, but that definite struggle between, for lack of a better term, the tent cities that are forming versus average middle-class people wanting a playground their kid can be at. So it's a real deal in Seattle. It's always been a real deal in Seattle, but it's notably different now. Mm-hmm. Just the sheer number of them is notably different. And that was already happening prior to the pandemic because Seattle is getting more and more expensive and it's basically just pricing people out, <clears throat> not to mention, you know, other factors. But here's another question that I have for you. So for people who haven't been to Rome and think of it as kind of this sterling, gorgeous, ancient city, which it is, Wait, be surprised to see how much graffiti is in Rome, <laughs> because there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, a lot. In fact, the last time I was in Rome, it struck me how much more there seemed to be from when I lived there. But the interesting side effect to the pandemic has been that there's a lot more graffiti in Seattle. Really? Yeah. And in part, I think that's just because people aren't around. You know, people are inside. But if they're inside, wouldn't there be less graffiti? Well, not everybody's inside. Mm. less traffic downtown i see i see so there's more graffiti downtown there's less traffic in the tunnels so there's more graffiti in the tunnels i see that makes sense that makes sense yeah and that's been a notable change too since the pandemic of wow i mean there was always graffiti in seattle we're a city you know (laughs) it happens but uh but it is notable how much more and and part of that is also because of businesses shuttering mm-hmm. you know and being boarded up mm-hmm. have you uh seen any of that or is I it haven't just... noticed that but like I said I haven't been spending maybe enough time downtown to downtown we don't call Rome center downtown but shorthand yeah. for the sake of speaking in English I wouldn't be surprised if there was less because we have a curfew now in the city you have to be indoors by 10 p.m. any kind of crime not that graffiti is such a terrible crime, but you know what I mean. Anything that's not legal happening in the nighttime, which a lot of time crime happens in the nighttime, mm-hmm. it's very difficult because you can get stopped just for being out. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't have any 
numbers on this or any statistics, but I wouldn't be surprised if certain types of crime is just down just because people can't be out. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of police presence in Rome right now. Is there? Oh, yeah. I mean, there always is because it's the capital and, you know, we've got lots of buildings to protect, you know, the Senate and the Parliament and the president's residence and the prime minister's residence, you know, and there's always a lot of carabinieri around. But it seems like there's more. And they're trolling. You know, they're just going up and down streets and looking out for people who are, you know, doing something wrong, don't have their mask on, or or congregated too many people together. Um, I have another question for you that's totally different. But in the United States, when we talk about this pandemic, we often reference the 1918-1919 Spanish flu. Mm-hmm. That's brought up as the parallel of what's going on. Do you guys in Italy have a parallel that's drawn on? Uh, the Spanish flu. <laughs> the Spanish Is flu. Is it just the Spanish flu? Yeah, I mean, it was world. It was a pandemic. It was worldwide. I mean, it's yeah, called yeah, the no, Spanish flu. I, I just didn't know if there was like something else that people were like, well, remember the 1970, I don't know. Like what, I don't know. Like mm, what else no, people would have referred to. They draw on the pandemic, but also I think um, parallels can be made just for wartime. Mm. I'm sure it was way worse as far as poverty during the war. But I was out walking around today and I, and I said to our friend Lynn, who I was with, um, I don't think Rome has been like this since wartime. I really don't. Uh, I don't think it was like this in the 60s. You know, everyone says, oh, Rome in the 60s, what it must have been like, you know, Rome in the 50s. I think it was more crowded than it is right now. Hmm. You'd have to go back to wartime Rome to get to a point where there were so few people out wow. and so few people here in general. Yeah. And what about with you with all your historical knowledge? Is there another event that you can think of historically? We've talked a little bit about the Black Death. Yes, but not much. Not really. Rome has had so many plagues. Some way, way worse than this. (laughs) Way, 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 way worse. We're like 80% of the population gets killed off. Maybe 80%. Maybe it wasn't 80%, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So, I mean... Rome is one of those places, I mean, Europe in general, it's just, it has a long history. And it's kind of hard to ever have a, something that's unprecedented. Yes. This place has seen it all. You cannot shock Rome. Everything has happened in these streets. Given the grand sweep of the history of Rome that you know, would you say that you're living in a pretty decent time? Oh. Given that <laughs> there's a pandemic going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I dream of time traveling. That's my greatest fantasy. But I don't think I would have wanted to live in anywhere, not just Rome, but in any time earlier than than my time, quite frankly. Not live, per, you know, mm-hmm. f- full time, especially being a woman. Yeah. But yeah, I wouldn't want to live through the Black Death. There, <laughs> there was no Dr. Fauci telling us what to do during the Black Death. Yes, that's true. It's a very fine point. <laughs> what were people saying in the Black Death? Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. That's what they were saying. Bring out your dead. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, everybody lost people. Caravaggio, he's, um, I'm thinking a lot about Caravaggio right now, but isn't, aren't I always? I did a Caravaggio tour this morning for our friend Lynn. Yes, Lynn, Lynn, by the way, a former guest of the show, she appeared on our psychic two-part episode where a psychic told her what to do with her future. I think it was called Medium, Katie. Oh, was it called Medium? Okay. It was enough. called Medium. She's going to be on our show again Yes, on a mini episode, so stay tuned for that. But, you know, Caravaggio witnessed his father and grandfather die of the plague when he was only four years old. So that would have been 1575 in Milan. 
everybody was affected by that. You know, not just like, oh, my third cousin got it and everybody had people die. Everybody. If you want to time travel, Tiffany, I have a book suggestion for you. Okay, let's hear it. As you know, I've been reading George's Bank by Bradley Bagshaw, which is set in the 19th century. And as you know, I've been writing with Bradley Bagshaw a little bit, getting him to describe this book because it it is a big not extremely long, it's not Pillars of the Earth novel, but it's a bigger Mm -hmm. book. So it's a real journey. So it's hard for me to sum it up as a person who one, has not read the entire thing yet, and two, didn't write it. So (laughs) I've been writing with Bradley Bagshaw to get him to give me shorter, more concise descriptions than how I might choose to like ramble off a scene to you that I just read. So this is to entice you. The protagonist is Maggie O'Grady, a bright but naive Irish immigrant impregnated and discarded in a brothel by her first employer in the new world. Ouch. A wealthy Boston merchant. Maggie struggles with the help of other women around her and raises a son. And does she find love? Hmm. Maybe, (laughs) maybe not. But the book climaxes with a wrongful death trial brought by the widows and children of two fishermen killed in a winter storm on a boat insured by the Boston merchant. And this interesting twist and why this is like kind of an epic story, as you can tell, the lawyer, when it comes to this massive trial in the middle, the lawyer is Maggie O'Grady's son. Oh, full circle. So we've gone through a generational shift. Love those generational books. Yeah. I'm not going to give any more away, but... Mm, sounds really good. Yeah. So if you're looking for a book to time travel with over the holidays, I might recommend George's Bank by Bradley Bagshaw, which of course you can buy wherever fine books are sold. Okay, well, so maybe to end, we'll reverse it. Besides seeing masks everywhere and plastic dividers and all the other weirdo stuff that we now see, is there something that you see in Rome now that you didn't used to see? Well, it's not so much a sight as it is a sort of interaction that happens with people. Mm. And it's this sort of sense of like, I mean, everybody has their own boundaries in this pandemic. So there are people who are very cautious. There are people who are moderately cautious, et cetera, et cetera. And you never really know where you fall on the line with somebody you're having about to have an interaction with. And some people are going to like want to hug you anyway. Some people are going to clearly stand back and wave kind of when you interact with them. Some people are going to be really try to keep their distance. See, in, in Italy, we're, I think we're not being as careful as you guys are. I should just caveat it to say that. And I think, I don't know, that sounds weird to say though, because I think in the States, people are doing so different things. I think that differences swing so far based on where you are and your politics and things like that. But in Italy, I think because the the rules are so strict, the actual mask wearing, social distance, it's all so strict that when it comes to interpersonal relationships between like friends, I think people are lulled into this sense, this false, maybe false sense of like, we're fine because we're being so careful. And so maybe with your friend, you know, you're not going to be as careful. And so you'll, you'll have this interaction with someone who maybe you don't know very well. And you're like, is this person going to try to hug? It's kind of like, it's awkward. Do I wave? Do I bump elbows? This whole like awkward, not knowing how to socially interact with people is so weird, you know, because especially because in Italy, there are specific rules, unspoken rules as to how you behave in social situations. I mean, I'm sure there are everywhere, but in Italy, they're very clear. Like you, when you meet someone new, you, especially if you see a friend, 
You kiss them on the cheek, both cheeks. It's just what you do. In France, it's even stronger. In France, it's like, if you don't do that, you're really, really rude. But in Italy, most people will do that as well. It's even if you're just meeting someone for the first time, if they're fr- like a close friend of your close friend, you're probably going to kiss them. So it's weird to now have these social norms completely gone. And I wonder if they will come back, even when this is all over and everything, you know, who knows, five years from now, I hope sooner. But I wonder if people are going to be so affected by this time that they will be reticent to go and kiss a total stranger on the cheek. And in the States, you know, it's more hugging. And it's not as hard and fast rule. You don't hug every single person you meet. You don't shake the hand necessarily. You, you might do one or the other. But is it going to come back? I don't know. It might not. I wouldn't be at all disappointed if the awkward social hug went by the wayside. I hate the awkward social hug. Like, I'm fine with hugging a friend. I want to hug my friends. I want to hug my family but I do not want to hug someone that I recently met. I just don't. It just feels wrong to me. And I can tell it always feels wrong to that person too. And they're always trying to hug me with the littlest bodily contact possible. But it's like, why are we hugging? It doesn't make any sense. We are not close. We don't love each other. Mm-hmm. Even as friends, why are we hugging? Do you ever feel like that? Occasionally, but I, generally speaking, don't mind hugging. I don't mind hugging. I don't, I, I don't mind hugging my friends, I guess. I just... It feels awkward to hug someone you, you don't have true affection for. You know what else is awkward? So recently, as our listeners know, if they listen all the time, and some know just because they actually attended this event, thank you for coming, I did that live online event with Jim DeMaine a couple of weeks ago. The weirdest thing, because I've done a lot of live events on stage with people. And of course, the dynamic is different over Zoom. Of course it is. But the weirdest thing about it is a lot of energy goes into doing something like that. Being live on a stage with someone, planning out the interview, talking to the crowd, inviting their questions, all of that takes a lot of performative energy. And to a degree, that performative energy is also required when you do it on Zoom, okay? But the weirdest thing about it was you have all this performative energy and then the event ends and you're just sitting in your office. Well, I guess I'll go downstairs. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no after the show. Yeah, where you might go down to the lobby and you might talk to no one. You might say goodbye just to the venue. You might say hello to a couple people who are there, who compliment you or want to ask a question, and then you get in your car and you drive home. But there's this time period that's from before the end of the show to being home. And now it's just, you're just home. <laughs> it's very strange. Nothing will ever be able to replace human contact. Not just physical contact, but you know, just being in the same space as someone. Energy is a tangible thing. And you get energy from people that are around you. Mm-hmm. And they can transmit positive, negative emotions to you. Yep. It's never going to be the same over uh, any kind of video Although I feel like when I talk to you, I feel like we come pretty close. This is the interesting thing, too, because I've said this before, is that with everybody else on Zoom, it's slightly unsatisfying. (laughs) But with you, because we've always been this way. Mm -hmm. Well, except for the first year. (laughs) Well, yeah. But I mean, for us, I don't even feel as tired from it 
because this is just always what it's been. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I sometimes you're on with people and you're, it will be fun, but you'll think, wow, that was sort of tiring when it was over. And with you, I don't ever feel that way. I can't stand it. Absolutely. With anyone else but you. I mean, my mom, it's kind of okay. You know, but even still, like she wants to talk to Aurelio and Aurelio is being rambunctious and showing her all his toys that he's showed her a million times. But I did it with my sisters once and it was not pleasant. Also, because when it's a large group of people, I mean, there are five of us, you talk over each other and you can't and then you can't hear and you have to stop and you have to repeat and somebody's always got bad connection and you can't hear them and somebody disappears and oh, I can't stand it. I do it as little as possible. All right. Well, we should leave it there. But if you've been seeing things that you didn't used to see or not seeing things that you did used to see, it'd be kind of fun to compile a list. So feel free to send those in. You can reach us at bittersweetlife at mail.com or the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. You can also find us on social media, of course. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast and interact with us. We love hearing from you guys. And I have no idea who in your life besides you loves the bittersweet life enough to receive a gift about it on christmas morning but we do have a merch store now at thebittersweetlife.net where you can buy all sorts of crazy things from normal things like t-shirts that say the bittersweet life or have a caravaggio painting on them or say go see what the birds are doing which you know is my recommendation of getting out of the house but what? All sorts of things. Mugs, coasters. Little journals. Journals. Yes. I think those are great for like if you're planning your move abroad and you need to scribble your plans, you could do it in a bittersweet life notebook journal. Yes. Um, but yeah, we've got some weird stuff. Pillows. On there too. Like a scarf. <laughs> yeah, that's the scarf. <laughs> I want someone to order the scarf just to see what it actually looks like. And I've already ordered a couple things for me, so I feel like I've topped out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like I can't have the entire merch store coming to my house. But if you have a person in your life, or if you just want to give yourself a gift, go to thebittersweetlife.net, find the merchandise, and see what it's all about. The t-shirt, I gotta say, is really comfortable. Oh, that's cool. I'm in love with my mug. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Yes. Oh, really, whenever he sees it, goes, I'm Tiffany Parks from The Bittersweet Life. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. We are in the holiday season. A time for giving and a time for getting. And a time for reflection. What meant a lot to you in 2020? What kept you sane and entertained? What gave you hope? If this show helped get you through this year, please remember... We are an independent show. We have no corporate backing, no home radio station that is urging us on. We do this for you. We show up for you. If you love the show and have the means, send in a financial gift today. There are links in the show notes. And give your friends and family the gift of the show as well, just by telling them about it. It's as easy as sending a text. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you next week.